The title of today's sermon is called A Baptism-Shaped Life. With every baptism we celebrate at church, we have an opportunity to remember our own baptisms. If we're baptized as babies, of course we can't actually remember, but we are to recall the vows that our parents or guardians took at our baptism or the ones that we took if we were old enough to do that. We're called to remember that we were baptized with water, a sign of our being forgiven and refreshed and restored and claimed as God's beloved children. We remember the vows we took to renounce sin and evil, to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, and to follow the way of Christ and to share God's love in all we say and do. And we're called to live out our baptism, to live a baptism-shaped life. So what does that even mean? There are all kinds of debates in churches around the world. Should we be baptized as babies or wait till we're old enough to understand? Should we be baptized with sprinkling of water, a a pitcher of water poured on your head, or full body immersion in a bathtub, or better yet, a river, and better yet, the Jordan River, just like Jesus was? But none of this matters, and the Reverend Dr. Barbara Lundblad points out that what really matters in our baptism is what happens after the water has dried. So what do our lives look like? What difference does it make that we were baptized at all? Dr. Lundblad points out that in Luke's account of Jesus' baptism, there is not even mention of the actual moment he was baptized. There's no mention of water at all. So Luke doesn't seem to care about that detail. But what Luke is interested in is about telling us what happened next, about after Jesus' baptism, how he lived it out, after the water had dried. In Luke 3.21, the author writes, When Jesus had also been baptized and was praying. So here we are shown the first characteristic of a baptism-shaped life, prayer. Jesus centered his whole life in prayer. He centered his life in his relationship to God. And that's what prayer is. It's cultivating that relationship, that ongoing conversation with God. Throughout his life, he was ever going off to quiet places to pray for wisdom and strength and guidance, to pray for his disciples, to pray for those he healed, and to pray for all of God's children entrusted to him. And he always prayed with thanksgiving and praise. And while Jesus was praying after baptism, that's when we're told he received the Holy Spirit. And a voice of God said, You are my son whom I dearly love. With you I am well pleased. So there we learn Jesus was empowered by the Spirit for his earthly ministry. In his first act of public ministry reveals more about a baptism-shaped life. We follow him to Nazareth, his hometown, where on the Sabbath he goes to the synagogue to pray. And while he was there, the attendant handed him a scroll of scripture from the prophet Isaiah. And he unrolls it and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. So 
So along with a prayer-centered life, another characteristic is to be steeped in the Word of God and to help bring in God's beloved community. These words were words of justice. Jesus was called to live out justice, to heal, to liberate, to relieve the burdens of anyone enslaved or oppressed. And in Luke's second book, the book of Acts, the story of the first followers of Christ, the first church, again, the baptism-shaped life is revealed as one steeped in prayer. Deb read that the crowds were fascinated and amazed at what they saw at the festival of Pentecost. When all of the Jesus followers were gathered for that feast in Jerusalem, and they were in in prayer together, and then in a, in a moment a, a bright a big wind came along, and flames came down above their heads, and the Holy Spirit enabled them to suddenly be able to speak in languages not their own. So all the nations of peoples in Jerusalem could understand in their own tongue what was being proclaimed. It was a miraculous display, and those watching were amazed. And they asked the disciples, in light of this, what should we do? And Peter goes on to tell them, repent, believe the good news of Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness, and receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. And like Jesus and the apostles, they too were empowered by the Spirit. For their earthly ministry. And what is the first thing all of these believers did? They prayed. Their baptism-shaped life was marked by prayer, just as Jesus, and they too devoted themselves to the Word of God, to the Apostles' teaching, so they too could share God's love. They also had everything in common. They spent time together. They shared housing together. They sold their possessions to give to anyone who had need, so that everyone was not, no one had to suffer and they were then more equipped to go out and do the work of sharing God's love. They were in solidarity with everyone. It's a short story in the Bible. Unless we think it was easy for them to make the choice to, yes, to be baptized, to follow Jesus, to live out a baptism-shaped life, We recall a a few verses back in our Acts passage where Peter exhorts the astonished crowd and says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We all know about corruption in the world. Our faith ancestors lived in the world just like we do. They lived with daily choices between good and evil, choices that would lead closer to God or farther away from God choices that would increase their faith, hope, and love, or serve to diminish it. From the beginning of time, this has been true. There is righteous living, there is corrupt living. And corruption in the world often appears in disguise as something good, as easier, as the better way. We all live with the same tension today. What the Gospels tell will lead to a baptism-shaped life. What our world tells us and sells us likely won't because it's not meant to. It's not designed to. Theologian Dean Brackley points this out as he unpacks the world-shaped life as one that is shaped like a ladder. We, in our culture especially, know about hierarchy. 
we live in a competitive, upwardly mobile society that tells us that's how it should be. Now, this ladder-shaped world does not have to be corrupt or illegal in order to have it lead us away from God or serve to diminish our sense of faith, hope, and love. It can be completely legitimate. And Brackley writes in his book called The Call to Discernment in Troubled Times that on this societal ladder, there are different rungs. Some people are higher up the ladder than others. We are told to believe that there are some people who are more important than others. Not, and that some do more important things. Maybe we're, we're led to believe a surgeon has a more important role than a, a, a transportation driver. We're told that some who exercise authority are, are better people or more, even more human, more valuable than those for whom we don't even know their names or what they do. This is what the ladder-shaped life tells us we need for our survival, that we need to cling tightly between these two sticks on these rungs, looking out for the person above us that they don't step on our hands while they climb even higher and higher, all the while forgetting that we might be stepping on someone else's hands below us because we're too fearful that someone behind us might get ahead of us and get our share of whatever it is we're climbing after. And sometimes we don't even remember what we're climbing after. So the question for us is, are we going to live a ladder-shaped life or a baptism-shaped life? Brackley goes on to remind us that as humans, we are prone to feelings of insecurity and fear. It's natural. We worry about crime, about environmental disaster, today more than ever about the effects of structural racism. It's election season, we worry about the outcomes of that, and we certainly worry about the effects of COVID-19. The ladder-shaped world has an impact on all of us, whether we're rich, poor, or in between. Our world is concerned about finances, about financial markets, and when they go up and down, so do we. And all of this serves to weaken our traditional bonds as humans. Our, our ancestors knew about communal living and taking care of one another. They weren't climbing a ladder, they were trying to survive and they had to care for one another and look out for each other in order to do that. So they had tight-knit neighborhoods. But in our world today, we are, we are told that to be individualistic is to be prized. To look out for ourselves and our immediate family is what we should be about, or we might get into trouble. But what we're not told is that can sink us and our culture into crisis and into deep loneliness that leads to deep despair. We all want a sense of security as humans in this world. And we're told if we keep climbing, if we get the degree, we get the income, we can have the house and a car and another car and maybe higher income. Yet, do we ever lose that fear of insecurity? In these days of pandemic, one example, gun sales in our nation have exploded. An estimated three million more guns were purchased this past spring than the same time last year. And in June alone, a 145% increase from last year. 
And with all those guns out there, do we feel more secure? I would doubt it. Even as we keep climbing and accumulating, loneliness and insecurity can haunt us. Because the more I put in between me and God, the more I will be diminished in faith, hope, and love. In my relationship with my primary, my divine creator who loves me without end will suffer. So we have a choice today, a baptism-shaped life or the shape of the world as a ladder. When we live as that first church, we live in solidarity with one another. So we no longer see another person as a threat, but as a sibling. We no longer have fear because we're trusting God. We're nurturing that relationship and we're trusting God to care for us. So we can allow our baptism power by the Spirit to help us carry out our ministries on earth. I'm going to share a scene that I witnessed two weeks ago at Knox Church of a baptism-shaped church. At about 4 p.m. on that Sunday, I gathered with a, a few people, the family of Minnie Morton, to film her baptism on Knox's new courtyard. At the very same time, in the back Michigan Avenue parking lot, our confirmation class of 2020 was gathered with elders and youth leaders to study the profession of faith questions that their parents or guardians spoke for them at their baptism so that soon they will be confirmed and say those baptismal vows for themselves. And about the same time on the front lawn of Knox Church, our youth group gathered with youth leaders from Knox. And they were living out their baptism in community, nurturing their friendships, their relationships on their faith journey, while creating a beautiful art project of a chalk mural for the community. So they were serving. They were thinking beyond themselves. This is a baptism-shaped life. St. Teresa of Avila, a 16th century theologian, knew what it was like to, to not put anything between herself and God. She nurtured her baptism in prayer. And because of that, she had faith that she could then look at her her, her small self, this broken human, and she could look around at all the other humans in the world, also broken, and realize that Jesus walked among such people his whole life. So as one of God's own, she asked herself, now how am I to live among my fellow humans? And she came to know there was only one question remaining about how to live a baptism-shaped life. How can I be helpful? And she asked God to help her answer that every day. Friends, we're invited to consider our baptisms today. And if we have yet to be baptized, I would love to talk to you about that, as would Adam. And we can, we can tell you more about that journey, and we would love to do that. But now in small groups, I want us to dig deeper into these passages, into this, uh, this idea of we have a choice of what shape life we're going to lead. So I want to ask a few questions. First, what does a baptism-shaped life mean to you? And based on your own gifts and any sense of call or holy nudge you feel from God, 
what does it look like lived out by you in the world? The first church in Acts didn't meet in a building. Right now we're not meeting in a building. But yet they were still the church in the world. So how can we still be the church in the world during COVID-19 safely? And how might be God inviting you to stretch, to serve in new ways or unfamiliar ways, ways you may never have thought of? And finally, what do you need from God today? God gives us the Spirit to help us on our journey in living out our baptism. And God wants to know what we need. So I invite you to to dig in deeper and enjoy some discussion.